Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight I'm here with a show-and-tell episode, which is where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today's guest is John, who's the lead designer of Destination Danger uh, from Guardian Moon Games, and I didn't bury the lead because the something cool we're going to talk about is, in fact, Destination Danger. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you here. We've been talking back and forth on email for a few weeks, actually a week longer than we were supposed to, but we won't talk about that because it was my fault. So one of the things I always like to ask people, the name of your company is Guardian Moon Games. So where does that name come from? Uh, the name comes from a, a compromise, actually. <laughs> okay, tell me more. I really, really like the idea of naming a company uh, Guardian Games, and it turns out that there are several uh, game shops across the nation called Guardian Games already, and um, that frustrated me for a long time, <laughs> and I talked to my brother, um, who is the best sounding board that I know, and he was like, well, what's like the coolest, most mysterious thing that you could add to that? And I'm like, oh, I love the moon. The moon's awesome. <laughs> and uh, he was like, well, Guardian Moon sounds awesome. And I was like, well, there we are. There, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, now is your brother a part of the company in any way? Does he help with the project? He is. He's our uh, technical writer, actually. He edits everything that we write. And um, he uh, the instructions for the game are largely his. Okay. He has a PhD in technical writing, so he's very useful. Oh, yeah. that uh, Okay. I'm, I'm impressed and intimidated at the same time. So, um, so you've listened to a few of our shows, so you kind of have an idea of how the show and tell thing works. So, um, Destination is the first RPG that you're looking to publish, and it's got a few qualities to it that I don't necessarily know if, if they're unique, but that you're aiming to do something that's a little bit different. So give me the elevator pitch. What is Destination Danger? Destination Danger is a uh, card game RPG. There's character cards, monster card, map card, everything you need. All the cards are a little larger than your standard playing card, fit in your shirt, po- shirt front pocket, and um, you can just pull them out and literally start playing a role-playing adventure right there. Um, the scenarios on the cards put you right in the middle of a really awkward situation. <laughs> it tells you what the situation is, but it doesn't tell you how to get out of it. It doesn't tell you how, to get how you got into it. And it's your job as the players to get out of it while explaining to the game master how you got into it in the first place. Okay. So now when, when you first started talking to me about this project, uh, one of the things you talked about is that uh, it's, it's portable. As you said, it's just, a, you know, 21 cards. Uh, that that's the, you know, encompasses the first part of the game, the, the first, I guess, the core of the game. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you could play in line to a convention or a movie theater. Maybe if you're, you know, everyone be safe but maybe like while you're driving cross country it's something you might be able to play in the car um but is it something that you can also use as inspiration and play around the table or is it really more for a 30 minute out we're in line we got something to you know time to kill type of game no you can absolutely play it around the table we have a set of rules called advanced play um where it's like hey these scenarios and these monsters work perfectly with any other game and if you want to bring your characters in or if you want to expand on the on the current game and add dice rolls in, draw a bigger map and bring out your miniatures, feel free to do that. But in our rule set, we always have one solid rule. If everyone's not having fun the way you're doing it, go back to the other way to do it. Make sure everyone's having fun. 
you know, I, I heard there's a motto similar to that that I'm kind of a fan of as well. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, fun being the focus of what you're trying to do. So, so again, so one more time, what are the different types of cards that you're going to have? And you're going to have a map card, the situation card, player cards, and monster cards? Uh-huh. And there's a couple item cards in there, too. Okay. So we'll, we'll say you and I and a couple of friends who are invisible, but they're with us, are going to sit around. We're going to play this right fast. Who, who's the GM? Does, is it randomly assigned by the cards? Does a person volunteer? How does that happen? Usually someone volunteers. They, they're, as the GM, they, they take the whole deck. Uh, they hand out the, um, the character cards. Um, usually let people decide which characters they want to play. Um, but you just hand them out. Um, and then they pick a scenario. Um, there's three scenarios that come with the core game. Um, you pick it, and on the, on the, it tells you what other cards you need for that scenario. The GM takes them, reads through them all, and then um, reads the scenario card. The front is literally just a paragraph you read to kick everything off. All right, so assuming I know how the system works, and we're going to get a little bit into how the system works in just a minute, mm-hmm. but assuming I already know that as a GM, if I'm not familiar with the cards yet, how long from the point that I grab my cards till I think I'm ready to run a game, would you say? If you're not familiar or with you are familiar? I'm familiar with the rules, uh-huh. but not with that particular mission card or situation card. Uh, four to seven minutes. How long it takes right. you to read through the cards? All right. So pretty quick. So like I said, so the, each situation card is just you're in the middle of something bad happening. Uh-huh. And it's the job of the characters to get out of it. Uh, it sounds like it's a very role-play heavy game where a lot of this is just going to be how quickly the characters can think on their feet and, and role-play out the situation. But there's also obviously got to be some mechanics. If I want to try to talk my way past the guards, there has to be a way for me to determine if that works. So how does this system work for the, like, is there dice? Is it just card comparisons? Like, how does that work? Um, a lot of it's left up to the game master. There is a set of stats. So a character card... Um, has a description of the character on it, and we put a lot of key words into it to describe the character's abilities and their likes and dislikes. And then there's just some base stats. There's strength, defense, speed, intelligence, and health. And everything is on a base 10 system, 10 being the best, 1 being the worst. Um, And so what you do is you say, I'd like to do this. I have this stat, and it says I can do this on my card. And the... The game master just takes that, rolls it into his head against a, a challenge that he comes up with, and tells the outcome. Um, by not having dice, by not having uh, a chart to refer to, we have everything right there. And like you said, you can take it, you can play, and it's just very fast-paced. So can you give me an example? I mean, you said there's three in the, the core set, so you can make up a new one if you want. I don't want to give a third of the situations away. But what is a, an example of a situation we might find ourselves in? I don't have the card in front of you, but front of me, but the, everyone's favorite situation so far is the uh, Are You My Mummy situation. Okay. I love puns, by the way, so yeah. great. Um, the scenario starts in a nightclub on the banks of the Nile in Cairo. Um, Two of the characters are handcuffed together at a table with the nightclub owner. He's handing them a jar uh, with a mummy's heart in it, an ancient clay jar. One of the characters is disguised as a waiter, two tables away. The other character is disguised as a band member up on the bandstand. A mummy holding a flaming sword walks in and sees them. That's the scenario. That's your go point right there. (laughs) 
I love it. And so you have to decide. The GM quickly just, you know, decides which character is in which position. And then they have to work their way out while telling the game master how they got there in the first place. Okay. So, um, couple, I guess a couple of questions come to mind, my mind there. One, is it assumed that the players are all like a typical adventuring party? They're all together, already on the same team, or they may not even know each other. They're just in the same place at the same time when something crazy happens? Um, it's up to the group to decide what that is, um, really. Um, there's a little bit of direction given in the instructions about how to handle that, but mostly it's, it's do you want to be on the same team or you don't, and that's a decision they get to make early on. Um, we've played it both ways, and it's fantastic both ways. All right, and then I guess the other question that came to mind is, are there are the, the character cards universal in that you, you're going to use them in every scenario, or are there certain character cards that are already... Okay, so in this scenario with the mummy... We have the band member and the waiter, but if we're going to do the one where you're Soviet spies, it's different ones? Or how does that work? Nope. We have four character cards right now. We have a, a, a standard adventurer. We have a, uh, a merchant, a trader. Um, we have an author. Someone's going out looking for adventure. And we have the um, archaeologist, the person looking for um, the relics of the past. Um, they each have a little background. They each have a, a little title. And then every time you play, you just plug them into a different scenario. You say, the archaeologist and the author are the ones handcuffed, and the adventure's on the band, and the merchant is pretending to be the waiter. You know? Okay. And then if you play it again, you just switch their positions. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Um, so then, is there any sort of like like advanced like campaign play? Like, if we play this, all three scenarios with the same characters, do they ever get any better? Or is it always starting from, like, zero when you go into the scenario? You can definitely do a campaign play. Um, and one of the great things from that is you can end up with several of the items um, from one scenario. Your character can have them in the next, which gives you an advantage later on. Um, what we tend to find happens is because these characters weren't created by the players, they're static characters they're not invested in them as much, so they're a little free with them. Lots of times, one gets blown up in one scenario, or <laughs> gets a hand cut off, or loses a finger. I, we find this happening much more often with these characters they tend to think that they can throw away than characters they spend more time on. And what the players are telling us in the playtest is, they find that really fun. <laughs> they take more risks, and they do more dumb things. Yeah, I, uh, I I know I've said this many times before, but I have now that I'm going to more conventions, that's something that I do fairly regularly. I I have found that playing a pregen is usually more fun than playing a character that I've created because it's a one shot. Like I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily feel the need to create my own character in what is a quote unquote throwaway adventure. I just want to have the most amount of fun I can in that two, three, or four hour session, and a pregen generally is created by the person who's written the adventure or who has read the adventure and it's built to plug into that scenario or that adventure very well. I'm going to have motivations that work for that adventure. I'm going to have connections and backgrounds and bonds that fit with that adventure. And I've absolutely become a person. I love playing with pre-gens and would gladly play with a pre-gen in any situation, even a campaign. If the DM wants to go here, here's a camp, here's a character that fits this campaign. Great. I'm all for it. 
because uh, I've definitely found that I've had more fun than I thought I would with that situation. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that with a pre-gen, I take more risks. Um, with a character I made on my own, I'm, I'm protective of it. I want him to develop the way that I foresaw when I created him. All right, so a little, little precious, maybe. Yeah. Um, so how long, are, how long are we talking per session? So again, we're standing in line to get into a movie. And we want to we decide to play this. Are we going to be done before we get into the theater? Is it a 10-minute game? Is it a two-hour game? Where does it usually fall as far as playtime? I've seen um, in some playtests with very, very advanced players, I've seen them be like, we can wrap this up in 15 minutes. And then without advanced play, without miniatures or dice or anything else, I've seen another group take the same scenario and play it for two and a half hours. Oh, wow. So is it that the less experienced players were were not focused on just trying to get through it and that's what took so long? Or is it not having mastery of the system slowing them down, a little bit of both? It it was that they didn't want it to end, actually. (laughs) They were having so much fun that they found reasons to keep it going. Um, they hadn't meet, met any of the goals to finish the scenario, but they took it outside the scope of where the map is. The map was of, let's say, the nightclub, and they ran outside the nightclub. That could be the end of the scenario, but they were like, let's keep going. The mummy kept chasing them, and they just they didn't want it to end. They thought it was so fun. They thought it was, you know, silly, for one thing. You know, it, they didn't have to focus on too much of the mechanics, and they could just have fun telling telling a story. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of silly. A lot a lot of my games tend to go that way because that's kind of what I enjoy as a player and as a DM. So, with the scenario that you started with, the example of you know, are you my mummy? And we got waiters in a in a, in a nightclub in a band and the mummy itself. This kind of has come across to me as like these serialized. Archeo- you know, Indiana Jones type game. Is that sort of what we're looking at? Yes, we're definitely. We, the tagline that we use is it's the uh, exciting world of 1930s archaeology. Definitely Indiana Jones, but pre-World War II. Okay. So so what is it about that era? <laughs> era, not era. <laughs> well, so what is it about that era that has drawn you? Because you could obviously make this game future space or prehistoric times or superheroes. So was there something about that particular type of story that drew you and maybe the rest of the people in your company towards it? Um, I think one of the things that really drove me towards it is I love old radio shows, old radio shows like the shadow or um, doc Samson or something like that. They, they, they were adventures. They were role playing that you listened to. I mean, today, thousands of people log in and listen to other people role-play adventures. They're just listening to radio dramas. It's just the new way that we do it. Mm-hmm. And that that whole idea really appealed to me of, you know, it's less about the mechanic. It's more about the story. And what a great, what a great setting that has already been um, exposed to us in this, you know, radio show style. Okay. Again, I, I, I'm leaning into that as well. I mean, those, those are things I particularly enjoy playing. I like the pulp action hero. I uh, love to play Indiana Jones. Like half of my D&D characters that I create turn out to be a version of Indiana Jones, it seems like anyways. With the, the core game, um, 21 cards, three different scenarios, 
four different characters, and then you, you mentioned there's some map cards. And since we're not talking about advanced play specifically that, that you mentioned comes with, you know, might include dice and miniatures, I'm guessing the map cards are just like a quick reference to like, this is where you're at when you start, or does the map come into play any more than that? The map cards are actually, um, all the scenarios take place in usually like a large room. One's a, one's a casino, one's a, a tomb, and one is a nightclub. And so it's a top-down, almost Legend of Zelda-type view of that area. Um, our second stretch goal on the Kickstarter is actually to the flip side of the card to be expansive maps. We're going to go back and ask our wonderful, wonderful uh, map maker. His name is uh, Ryan Nimitz. He's fantastic to draw larger-scale maps um, where it's zoomed out a little more so that you can actually take the play further out. Okay, and then, so I'm just, again, trying to wrap my head around all of this. So we're starting off, again, 21 cards, three scenarios, four characters. Um, if, if this is something we play, and I'll, I'm having so much fun, I want to play this again. I mean, I could easily, as a DM, make up some new scenarios. But is are there any plans to release additional scenarios, map packs, or character cards? Like, is there, is there more? If, if this goes well, we'll assume it funds. Like, are there already projects in, in mind for future expansions? Yes, there are. We uh, we definitely want to run um, booster packs on this. Uh, seven more cards. That's one more character card, one more scenario card, one more map card, and then five more monster and item cards. Um, so it'd be a really, really cheap pickup. We're talking like, we're thinking about six, seven dollars, and you get this whole new scenario and another character. Now, each scenario is written for four characters, but that means you have more choice of which characters to play, which means that the new character you can insert into the old scenarios and play them a different way this time. All right. And again, just me personally, I like the idea of, of the characters being random, uh, not even just randomly assigned, but the ones that are included, because that would help mix things up as well. If you find something, a character that just is harder to figure out how they're included in this particular situation, that could be fun for me. Uh, but we don't get the you know horse or cart in front of the horse, and I think the horse is supposed to be in front of the cart because um, we want to get the base game funded first, get people playing. Um, so let's let's jump into the Kickstarter. And is there anything else about the game or the system you want to talk about before we get into the Kickstarter specifically and how people can support you? Um, just that you know, the the game itself is is very simple. It's very fast. Well, people love it, and they love to use it to invite their friends who have never role played before to come and role play. Um, but it's just one piece in a system that we're trying to build. We're trying to build a, an entire system of these quick role-playing games, each one set in a different setting, time period, scenario, that you can carry in your pocket and go and play anywhere with anybody. And actually, that reminds me, I'm sorry, a question that's just, it's out of place, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you mentioned that all the scenarios are based on four players. Can you play this with just two, like a GM and a player? Does, is it balanced for that? Or like if you had five friends and you just want to like have two waiters just so the fifth person can play? Yeah, we, in, our, in our instructions, we say, take this and do whatever you want with it. We're not strict. We don't, we're not going to come down on you and be like, you're not playing our game correctly. You know, <laughs> um, we encourage people to play multiple characters. You know, if there's just like two of you, a GM, and one person can play all four characters. Or um, if there's three of you, then each of you get to play two characters. Um, divide it up however you want. But then if you have extra characters, 
throw them in somewhere, you know, make one of them the bartender, make one of them hidden in the corner, scoping everything out through a, a newspaper with eye holes cut into it, you know, whatever you want. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter itself. And I'm, I'm looking at some of the art that you sent me. Um, and it, it, it gives me the vibe. Obviously it fits right into the, again, like the 1930s Indiana Jones type thing. Um, it also reminds me of like the character card art for some of like the Arkham Asylum games. Um, there's another one I can't think of the name right now. My friend, like you're dealing with Cthulhu. It's like, you know, the 1930s socialite type of a thing. So um, I assume that all the cards are going to have full color art for them. All the cards are full colored art. Um, all the cards um, will have their own unique um, backgrounds to them. The whole deck, when you hold it, when you flip through it at once, will almost look like, and you'll love this, Indiana Jones, The Grail Diary. Mm. It looks like someone's cre- taken a notebook and they filled each page with notes on the characters and the situations and the scenarios. And um, so each one will look like a page. Um, the image of one may be a sketch on, on a sketchbook page, and the image of, of another character may be off of the front of a magazine. Um, and then the backs of the cards, a lot of the backs of some of the cards are actually old telegrams that people have received with information about the characters or the scenario. Um, the card itself tells you a lot about the character or the scenario or what is going on. Um, so you have the entire image of the cards front and back, full color, to use as inspiration for what's going on. We didn't. We thought, why waste the card? You know, go all the way to the border. Well, yeah, I mean, if you have a game that's completely on just, you know, 20 cards or so, you need to have that art and you need to use it to, to the edges because you've you got limited real estate. You need to use all of it you can. Yeah. All right. And who's, do you have an artist, in-house artist, or have you uh, commissioned that? Anybody that we might know or could check out their work in other places? We, we're working with three fantastic artists, actually. Um, our first artist we work with is Billy Garrettson. Um, he, he worked on the, uh, Crowfall Kickstarter. It was an MMO. Okay. Um, and he currently working on the, uh, Battle Chasers game with, um, Airship Syndicate. He's our concept artist. He did our original images and just teaser work for us. He's an old friend of mine and he was like, Hey, I'll, I'll do this for you. It sounds awesome. Cool. And then Ryan Nimitz, um, he, he does a lot of character creation stuff for other people. We found him um, through another friend, and he did all of our maps. Maps aren't his normal thing, but he was like, I can take that on. I can do that for you. And then Lindsay Alvord, um, she's fantastic. She worked on a game called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, and she did some art for the art book for Critical Role as well. Oh, very cool. They're all on Twitter. They're all fantastic artists. And they would all love you to go and check them out. All right. So let's talk about the Kickstarter specifically. So do we have a launch date for when it's going to be live? Um, we're talking the third or fourth week of October. Um, it just depends on how long it takes us to lock down um, the rest of the the artwork, basically, that we want to show you for the Kickstarter. Okay. Um, and that's that's about the only thing that's that's holding it up right now. Okay. So we're recording this on October 1st. Don't have a release date yet because we'll we'll try to line it up so this will come out either right before the day of or right after the Kickstarter goes live. But more than likely, somewhere after like the twentieth, somewhere twenty fifth or so, we should have have this live. 
Is it going to run like a typical 30 days? Is it a longer or shorter Kickstarter? We're, we're going for the typical 30 days. Okay. Um, we want to give people a chance to, to, you know, hear about it, tell their friends. And, uh, you know, we want a chance to make all the money we can, actually. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Making all the money you can is what everyone should be trying to do on these Kickstarters. Uh, but let's talk about that. So how much money do you need? Like, what is your starting funding? We get this, we can make the game goal. Um, we're shooting for $10,000. And I imagine a lot of that's also going to pay for your artists and, and the stuff that's already been done. Yeah, the artists apparently like to get paid, so. I know, if only they didn't, right? Yeah. Um, no, right. we, we love our artists and we love to pay our artists. We, we definitely want to pay them a, a fair rate. And we know that's a big thing in the industry is getting sure your artists are paid and, and uh, that they receive recognition for their work. I, mean, I hate to go out and you hear all the stories about artists not receiving recognition for their work, and it's mm -hmm. it's upsetting. Yeah, it is. Again, just being in the Twitter sphere that I am, and as being around as many Kickstarters as I am, I've heard quite a lot of horrible nightmare scenarios where artists don't get paid or have trouble getting paid once they've actually done done the work and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, absolutely, I'm I'm all for raising money to pay people for what they do. For a Kickstarter, as, as someone who has somewhat plans of maybe doing my own Kickstarter in the future for a adventure that I want to work on, absolutely, I will be working with artists and you know, cartographers and design and layout and all that stuff. And whatever we end up setting our goal at, it's going to be as much to pay them as it is for anything else that we do. So totally respect that. Totally get it. So ten thousand dollars is what we need. So I always like to ask a couple different questions. At this part is. One, what is the come-in level? Like, what is, as the designer, you think, I think most people are going to buy in at this level, and what is it we're going to get at that level? And then I like to ask, what is the crazy $10,000 we're going to fly everybody to Mexico and play a game scenario? So, like, what's our come-in level, and then what's our crazy high level for the Kickstarter? Well, our, our come-in level, if you, if you come in, at, I believe it's, uh, like, $13, $14. I, I don't have it in front of me. You get the game. Um, and you get a digital copy of the game beforehand and you get a nice email that says, thanks a lot. <laughs> After that, the $25 level is what we've been working on, uh, that we wanted to make it the, the best level. Um, you get the game, you get the email, you get the digital copy, you get what we're calling digital dangers, which we're taking that beautiful artwork and we're going to turn it into a set of, uh, desktop backgrounds, phone backgrounds, oh, that sort of thing. That's cool. I like that a lot. And then we're also going to have um, special boxes to hold the, the cards created that look like old books. They look like old journals. And you open them up and it's actually a box that fits the card. So as you buy the game and you get the expansions as you come out, you have somewhere to keep it all. Keep it on your bookshelf or give it some really cool titles that nobody will know what it is. <laughs> and you just hide it right there. And then when you're ready to go, you just pull it out, open it up, your game's in there. All right, that is very, very cool. So what is our crazy high level, if there is one? Because not everyone does one, that's fine. We we didn't really do one. We're doing one about $100, which gets you all that, plus some signed prints from uh, from our artists as well. Um, you can pick your favorite character card, and we'll do it in a high-glossy print. She, uh, Lindsay, our artist, will autograph it, and we'll send that to you as well. But we're really proud of her art and her character art, um, and it's what really shows off the game. So. That's what we're focusing on. Okay. 
So 10000 is going to get the game. Now, you mentioned it's going to be 13 14 bucks. Does that include shipping, or is this one of those uh, print-on-demand things where we also pay for that separately? Nope, uh, that should include shipping for the game, and it's not going to cost as much to send it to you. Yeah, 21 card isn't a whole lot, but you want to get to send them safely, so you can't just throw them in an envelope and you know throw a couple stamps on it. Oh, no, no, no. We'll get it to you, and it'll be in pristine, collectible condition. Okay. You can display it unopened for the rest of your life. <laughs> Now, uh, when this goes live, obviously there'll be a Kickstarter link, and I assume that when they go, people go to the Kickstarter, there's going to be some of the art examples and some other things uh, up there. But is there any place that people could go beforehand? Like, is there a website or a Twitter handle that people go to right now to maybe get some preview links or anything? Uh, definitely. Our Facebook page shows off most of our art that's finished, um, and that's just do a search for Guardian Moon Games on, on Facebook. Um, I think it's actually... Facebook.com slash Guardian Moon Games is, is the link, I believe. And then we have a, a Twitter as well, and it's just a quick search of Guardian Moon Games. We'll pull that up. Um, we're finding that a lot more people are on Twitter than Facebook, so that's becoming our, our go-to share space for now. It's it, it's interesting, and not, not to divert too much, but as someone who's again, been doing this for a while and, and it could do better when it comes to that side of it, Facebook is still a place that there. I don't have as many people that follow me on Facebook obviously, as much as Twitter. And I don't have as much interaction on Facebook. Like when I post something, a lot of times on Twitter, I can get several people talking, we'll get a conversation, then other people will jump in. But also, but there's a lot of people who do that on Facebook. Like that's what they're there for is they want to check out new things. And I, again, I don't, for me, it seems like is even though I don't have as much interaction, I think Facebook is valuable, though it's really hard to want to stay on there. With all the stuff that's been happening recently, I kind of want to just get rid of Facebook, but I just I can't pull the trigger just yet because I got too much investment uh, on our site there. Uh, but, I, but I know what you're saying. Like Twitter, there's more interactions. It feels like there's a lot more going on on Twitter, whether there really is or not. Yeah. But if you do go to our Facebook page, um, and if your people, you know, if your listeners want to want to check it out now, we're always looking for um, early adopters. We have a, a very bare bones print and play oh. that people can download. Um, if they just agree to take pictures of their group playing it and send them to us. Very, very cool. Now, again, with the Kickstarter, do you have any examples of play? Um, or is, it, is it art still still images? Like, Is there anything about the Kickstarter itself that's going to show off the game more than maybe just talking about it? Definitely. We're working on... Um, we were talking about doing a 360 video. We have a really great 360 camera. Oh, cool. Setting it up in the middle of the table and just having a group play and putting that up on the Kickstarter. So, so again, you mentioned 10,000 was the base level, but we also have stretch goals. So what is our first stretch goal level? Our first stretch goal is to go ahead and uh, I think it's $12,000, but we're just going to go ahead and up the quality of the cards to the highest quality, linen finish. Lam, lam it at top. Uh, make them indestructible so that you could feel free to just throw them in your pocket, take them with you wherever you go. Okay, and then what's after that? After that will be the expanded maps, uh, where we do the backsides of the map cards with a even larger view map. And then after that will be um, the first expansion, which actually has a name. That scenario is called Christmas on Easter Island. And um, <laughs> okay. And uh, the the next. Uh, expansion after that the next stretch goal is actually called uh, rumble in the jungle so okay so you and are each of the expansions set at seven cards or is there some variability for that um we're actually probably going to try and make them seven cards that it's worth the you know 
the six, seven dollars you'll pay for the expansion. Okay. So, and again, I know we talked about it a little bit before we got started. I don't know if we ever actually said it in the conversation so far, but the system that you've created here is called the Primer System. And mm-hmm. and we're hoping that Destination Danger is just the first of maybe many games products that might be based off of that. Yes. Um, the Primer System is it's the card system that, that uh, Destination Danger is based off of. Every game that will be created for the Primer System We'll use the same base 10 stats, and we'll have um, accessibility to the other games. We, we have one planned uh, called the Raccoon Patrol, which is, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's aliens and scouts. It's about a group of, of patrol at summer camp when the alien apocalypse happens, and they're the toughest, meanest scouts in the, in the camp, and they go out every night and gather supplies and bring them back. And that's the game. That's the scenario. And then we have another one um, called, like, The Guardians of Dawn. And it is a superhero um, kung fu thriller. And each each of the characters is a peasant in, like, medieval Mongolia. And they have a superhero persona, a mask they put on. And they save these scenarios, but they have to keep their identity secret from everybody else and each other while they do so. You can take the characters from either of these and play them in any of the scenarios from Destination Danger or the other games. Because they all use the same stat system, and they all use the same um, um, the same systems across the board. Okay. So, not even just counting the expansions, but just the game system itself. Um, you mentioned that... Um, and this may even before we start recording that the system actually has a lot of replayability like it seems like with only having three scenarios and four characters that if you could you know it could kind of become samesy pretty quick but that's not what you found right like people are playing it the same scenario but just different people playing different cards or just slightly tweaking the scenario and then when you add in these other expansion packs it's sort of like i'm trying to think like like a board game example like maybe um what's that board game where you just mix everything together you take like two crazy decks and put them together and you're like ghost pirate ninjas and dinosaur. Robots. Oh, Munchkin. It's not Munchkin. There's another one. I can't think. Ah, oh, it's driving me crazy. Just, just do an edit later where you say the yeah. name of the game real fast. <laughs> Enter that game here. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure everyone that's listening right now knows exactly what I'm talking they're about. They're shouting it out to you. I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a game where it's you, you mix two different random things together to form a deck, and then you play that deck against other people. It's a uh, combative game. Everyone's against everyone. And so it sounds like you could sort of do that here. Like if you did find that, you know, hey, we played the mummy scenario four times already, but let's add in some of these other characters that aren't from the base set and see how that changes things up. Or take the characters from the base set and put them in this other scenario and see how they do there. Yep, it's it's like that, but there's even another level to it. Another level? The back of every card not only has a description of the character or the scenario or something else, but it has suggestions on how to change the scenario for each gameplay. So in the mummy scenario, the mummy is wielding a sword. We call it the the Kopesh of uh, like Flaming Sands or something like that. It's a cursed sword. On the back, it tells you about the cursed sword, and then it has a list of different curses that it could have. And the Game Master gets to choose from those curses each scenario or make okay. up his own. Your, your villain cards, your monster cards, there's a little paragraph that tells you about the monster, but then it has 
suggestions of different weaknesses or different motivations. And so the Game Master can just look at that and go, ooh, this time he's going to be a secretly a coward, but also he will do anything for money. But next time his his motivation will be, you know, love, and his secret weakness is, you know, he's afraid to be touched, something like that. Okay, so you, can, you just have multiple ways to alter it just enough to hopefully tweak it enough that it feels different every time you play it. And we also encourage everyone to take turns being the game master. It's so easy with this game to be a game master um, that we, we, we'll we play one scenario with a group of people and then we're like, everyone change roles. Who wants to be the game master? And they're all new players and they're like, none of us. None of us want to be the game master. <laughs> nope, too bad. You're the game master. And we get things from them that we didn't even expect. They come up with the best ideas because they're nervous and they're put on the spot, but they actually find that it's incredibly easy to play and roll right into it. Very cool as well. I'm, I'm for anything that helps new people try to, to GM. Again, that is one of the biggest things that we try to do here at the Academy. So anything that makes that easier or encourages people to do it or helps give them the confidence to try it, even if it doesn't go well, it'll get better next time. I'm definitely all for that. Uh, Smash Up is the name of the game I was thinking about. Uh, I, did a, <laughs> I did a search for Robot Pirate Ninjas. It was the first thing that came up. So I was really close. I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make it happen there. So yeah, so Smash Up is where you just take random things, put them together, and make your deck out of it. All right. So as I often say at this point, I would say anyone listening that's still listening, they're in or out. They figured out if this is something that, that they're going to back or not. Hopefully they will. Go take a look at the Kickstarter. Uh, you know, Jump in, give, give you guys some money so that you can make this game a reality. But is there anything that I didn't ask you or we didn't talk about or didn't cover that you think would be important for anyone who might be on the fence? Um, I would have to say the biggest thing that I like people to take away from this is that um, it's been described to me as, as a, a gateway role-playing game by many people. They say, um, they say, this is a game that I would take to my friends when they go, oh, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons or I want to play Savage Worlds, but they seem too complicated and I don't know if I want to invest the time because I've never role-played before. You just pull this out and you go, all right, let's find out if you like role-playing or not. And you play. Um, and that's for new beginners. It's great. For advanced beginners, they call it a an RPG pickup game. It's like going down the street corner Someone's shooting basketball. They're like, hey, you want to play basketball? It's the same thing, but for role-playing. You know, you show up at the game shop, your your group didn't show up, or somebody's out, and you don't want to play your regular thing. Hey, let's play something else. Let's play this instead. You know, or a group of random people you've never met before, and someone's like, man, I love role-playing. Let's role-play right now. <laughs> Boom, pull it out. Yeah, it's something that I've, again, I know I've mentioned this many times on the show before, but I, I, I consider myself a role-player first. And like a board gamer second. But mm -hmm. it seems like anymore I'm playing board games much more often than I am role playing games because of how easy it is to get those games to the table. You know, we, we only role play if everyone can make it. We only role play if the GM has had time to get the next part of the scenario put together, or adventure or prep. And it's like, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. But we can always just pull something off the shelf and play a game. This sounds, again, I think a pickup RPG is a great avenue to explore because it is something that if your whole group isn't there or if you've only got a limited amount of time, but you're really in the, you know, you're jonesing for some role play, it's something you can do. And it doesn't take forever. 
you know, half an hour if you want it to, a couple hours if you don't. And then you still might have time to do something else in a game night if, you know, again, if it just that's something you do, but it doesn't mean that's what you're doing the entire time unless you want it to and everyone's having fun and they keep playing. Uh, so I think that's a cool thing to explore. And I, I'd like to see this become a reality and see what else you can do with it with the expansion. So, uh, John, thank you so much for joining me. Anyone who's listening, please take a moment. Check out the links in the show notes. Go to the Kickstarter. Take a look. See if this is something you can support and throw some money their way. Um, is there any final words before we sign off, John? Excelsior. Excelsior. That's my terrible uh, impression there. So, all right. So, thank you. This has been Michael. And John. And we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.